Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad you're out. Even though it's a holiday, you're like, I am there. So awesome. Glad you're here. Glad our streaming crowd is uh, joining us today. I do need to embed a thought in your mind about next Sunday. Anybody, anybody know what I'm going to say? Right. Church schedule changes next Sunday, right? Our services move to 9 a.m. and 10.30. So mark that down, adjust your schedules accordingly, 9 a.m. and 10.30. I want you to know we solely did that because football season has started and we... <laughs> we didn't. My team plays on Saturdays anyhow. So they played last night. Anybody watch them? The Buckeyes, and then the who? Who said who? <laughs> All right, okay. Listen, we're here to talk about Jesus and not football. That's what my wife tells me all the time. So, good. So, so don't forget 9 a.m. and 10.30. Let's say a word of prayer as we dive into our teaching this morning. Jesus, thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for your presence in our lives. You are good to us, Lord, and we embrace that. And this morning, Jesus, we just, we pray that your Holy Spirit will stretch us in the understanding, in the way that you want to work in us. We pray, Jesus, that we would place uh, limits where they're needed and that we would be limitless where you ask us to be. So, Lord, speak to our hearts about our own journey. Uh, as, we, as we visit together today, we praise you in your name, Lord. Amen. So, you know, I, I, think, I think that I've appreciated boundaries throughout my life. Now, now, most of the time, I appreciate the boundaries that are set on other people more than the boundaries set on me. But, but as a parent... I really appreciated boundaries. When I had my three little guys at home, I appreciated the boundaries of, you're not going to leave the yard, right? Setting up some structure for them of knowing what's okay and what's not okay. You're, you're not allowed to play in the street, right? Good instruction, a good boundary to set up. Don't talk to strangers. And that's another, right? Another thought of a great boundary. So, so a lot of times, boundaries in our lives are, are good things. Boundaries can protect us. Boundaries can keep us safe. But then, but then there's the other side of that. And the other side is there are places where we, with intention, want to remove the boundaries and the limitations, like, like one time, right, right, obviously as a parent, you say, you're not allowed to play in the street, but then you hit the other side of that and you say, you can do anything you set your mind to, right? The creation of boundaries and, and then the opportunity for things to be no boundaries. You can become anything you want to become. Dream big and live into that dream. So really when it comes to like boundaries or, or limits, what, what we're after is, is, is we're after some sense, of, some sense of balance. We desire to limit that which can harm us, but we also desire to participate in the miraculous. So in one sense, we're like, hey, this, 
this isn't healthy and, and this wouldn't be good for us, so I want to set up appropriate boundaries and, and limits. But then on the other side, man, I want no limits when it comes to God's work in my life or where God wants to take me. Knowing what needs fences and, and what needs freedom is, is kind of an issue of clarity and guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, you know, all throughout the scriptures, right, God creates limits and boundaries for us. Like the Ten Commandments, right? There's some limits there, you know. Uh, four things you're going to do and six things you're not going to do. Do not, do not, do, right? And they're appropriate boundaries. They're helpful for us to function together in society and to, and to live as a healthy person. Why, in, in Galatians, he talks about what the acts are of the sinful nature, and he says, here's the acts of the sinful nature. And he's like, okay, so do not participate in these. He sets boundaries and, and limitations for us. But then at the same time, God removes boundaries and limitations. Like for instance, in the Beatitudes, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about how God can, can expand us in powerful and wonderful ways. Even in times of hardship or times of loss or times of grief, God can do incredible things in us. He can take off the shackles and, and set us free. Why, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Because it talks about these are the acts of the sinful nature, but here's the fruit of the Spirit. And in the fruit of the Spirit, you can be limitless and you can have no boundaries when it comes to your, your expression of God's love in your heart and towards others. I mean, knowing where to limit and where to set free is, is really somewhat, of, a, somewhat of, a, of an art. It's an art in parenthood. It's an art when it comes to self-talk. That we make sure in our self-talk, we, we set the boundaries that God lines up, but we, we create the freedom that God desires. And, and in our journey and our relationship with God. You know, sometimes we limit where we should set free. Sometimes we doubt where we should expand our faith. Sometimes we're cautious where we should recklessly act. So, so here's a question, right? Just, just for today, just for this holiday weekend, something for us to ponder. How would you really, how would you live life if you really believed God could remove limitations? How would you live? Man, if, if, if you really believe that, that, that God can do immeasurably more, I mean, how would you live your life? What would you do? How much would you give? How free would you be? Our scripture this morning, right? Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. You know what Paul's up against when he writes this to the church in Ephesus? He's up against the people that have placed limits on God. I mean, they placed limits on God. They, they're like, well, you know, the Lord can't do this and the Lord's probably not gonna do this for us and, and God's not gonna work in this way. So, and in limiting God, they ultimately limited themselves. They have stifled God's work in them and through them. So two big, two big thoughts out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Like here's, the, here's one big thought Paul wanted to get across. God is limitless. The next big thought is 
oftentimes God desires to express his limitlessness in our togetherness. Like God, God desires to express his limitless nature together as we work in unity. So, so just the first thought this morning, right? God is limitless. People can do so much. People can do so much, right? I can do so much. I have, a, I have limited resources. I have, I have a limited energy level. I have, I'm limited in so many ways. And, and you can pick your favorite person, the person that you think the best about, the person that you look at and say, whew, I'm gonna tell you they are something else. Man, I really trust them. I really, they have limits, right? They have limits. But God can do immeasurably, immeasurably more. I mean, do you get that word immeasurably? God can do more than you can even measure. I mean, God can do so much, you can't get your mind around it. You don't know how to calculate it. You can't figure it out. That's what God can do. So in John chapter six, it, it, it reads this way, a powerful story about Jesus trying to stretch his disciples in understanding his limitless nature and power. It reads this way. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Isn't that interesting? Right, Jesus is up to something. In the question that he asked Philip and his disciples, he was testing them. Why do you test somebody? You test somebody so you understand what they know. And all of us here have taken tests at one time or another, right? And, I'm, and I would guess, I would guess this, except for my wife, Dora, probably most of us have missed answers on tests, right? I mean, she was like an excellent student. I mean, like she, but anyhow, but I'm just thinking, you know, I took many tests where I answered many things incorrectly. Sometimes I answered incorrectly and I knew it wasn't correct. Right from the start, I read the question and went, oh man, I am gonna miss this. Sometimes I was fortunate and I made up answers and they were right. That's actually how I made it through most of my schooling. So, but, but, but right, we, we understand what a test is about. A test is about understanding what we know and what we do not know. So Jesus was testing them. Understand yourself what you know and what you do not know about me. Well, Philip answers him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite, a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Now Jesus is up to something, right? Jesus didn't ask them this just to, he already knew what he was gonna do. He already knew how he was gonna handle the situation, but he wanted them to learn and understand some things about him and about the way they think. Now, when we first read this little passage of scripture, we, we, like, we relate to, to, to Philip and Andrew in this story. Right? They're not bad guys, they're good guys. They're followers of Jesus. I mean, right? they're, they're passionate about him. They're like, whoo, I'm going wherever he goes. And, and right, they've already, you know, taken off. They're on this three-year journey with him, uh, you know, all over the countryside. But, 
But when you look at some of their answers, Philip, we relate so much with Philip. The question is asked, hey, where are we going to buy some food so we can? And Philip goes, what? That would take half a year's wages, half a year. And everybody would still be hungry afterwards. We wouldn't make a dent in this with half a year's wages. You know what Philip's doing? He's doing the math. Do you ever do the math? Do you ever hear something and immediately in clicks your analytical mind? You measure it out. You decide, is it possible? Is it, is it not possible? Some of you in this room are Philip. Some of you don't like being Philip. Some of you wish you weren't Philip. Some of you right now, you're looking around a room right now and, 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 and you're counting the lights or you're, you're examining other things in the room. You're just analyzing everything that's going on around you. It's not really a bad thing to be analytical, right? And, and in some senses, it would probably help you make a lot of decisions in life to be analytical. But it rarely gets us to what God can do. And I find myself trapped by this all the time. Man, I'm, I'm, I, I do the math on, right? I mean, man, I'm, I'm that way. I'm like, wait a minute, does this make sense? How's it, gonna, how's it gonna end up? What's the result of that? What's the probabilities? What's the percentages of success? How is this going to, I do it all the time and I hate it. You know, last week I said, I'm a church geek. I can hardly go to church, like even when I'm off, right? I mean, I, mean, I go when I'm off. I don't mean I don't go, but I mean, right? But I, but I go to church. And then you know what I do? I sit there and I look at everything around the room. One, two, three. Man, they have nine. Look at, did you see? Oh, they just, do you know how many greeters? You know, they just, I'm analyzing everything in the room. And so many times when I sit there and I analyze and I analyze and I analyze, I miss out on what God is trying to do in me. Like I rarely get to where God wants me to go if all I'm doing is analyzing and I'm working out the math and I'm... And then you have Andrew in the story, right? And Andrew, Andrew, right, he's not doing all the, all the analysis. He's just like more one of these general, general you, know, you know, folks. He's, he's looking and saying, well, we've got this much food and all this many people. I mean, seriously, how far can we stretch this? Right, and so he starts like, he's probably in his mind going over practical things. Well, we can add a lot of water to these bread and fish, right? Maybe we could cook it down into a broth, you know, and there'll be a little bit of flavor and we can pass out the broth to everybody. But, but I mean, like, like Andrew is almost more of, uh, more of just the facts, ma'am, sort of person. Just deliver the facts to me. Don't talk to me about faith. Don't, don't say what the possibilities are. Tell me the way it is right now. And, and somehow that, that limits us. Like if I am always going to be the way that I am right now, whew, I have absolutely limited God's work in my life. But, but you know, have you ever done that to yourself? Did you ever say, well, that's just the way I am? Man, I, right? Well, you have to understand my personality. I mean, I put these kind of, kind of, kind of limits and boundaries around myself all the time. When God says, no, we're going to do some big changes in you. Like there's nothing wrong with knowing where we're started, right? Knowing where we are, right? It's, it's, that's a good thing. So then we can have somewhat of an understanding where God wants to take us.
But you know, there's another character in this, in this story, right? Outside of, uh, outside of Philip and outside of Andrew, there's this little guy, this little guy whose mind has not yet been contaminated with all the letdowns or failures or frustrations or disagreements in life. Right, somehow he's still free in his mind. So when this idea comes out that Jesus is like, hey, we're going to feed everybody here, he doesn't do the math. He doesn't say, I only have this much. How far can that go? He's like, okay, we're going to do that. Here's what I've got. Here is what I have. I'm just going to give you what I have, Jesus. I'm just going to lay it out here. This is what I've got. It's, it's, it, man, I don't have to have ownership over it. Here, you take it. Whatever you do with it, here it is. I'm just freely giving it. No math, no facts. Just here it is, God. Whatever you can do with whatever I have. Now, you know, this little, this little one, right? This little boy taking what he had and placing it into the hands of God sets free the limitless activity of Jesus in this moment. Because you know what happened, right? You know what happened, right? Jesus, you know, with those, with that little bit of resource, fed over 5,000 people and had over 12 baskets left over. And all he did was say, well, this is all I have. He could have just kept it secret. He could have looked around at the situation and said, well, what I have isn't going to make a dent. I mean, he could have made all sorts of decisions in life. I only have this much time. I only have this much just to give. I only have, have this level of, uh, of energy. I only, he could have done all of those sort of things, but he just said, okay, what do you want to do, Lord? Okay, this is what I've got. It's what I've got. So, I mean, whatever you can do with what I've got. Do you ever want to wonder what the difference is in this, in this little boy? Like, like, what's the difference? Because it's important for us to know that if we're gonna, if we're gonna like live in this understanding of the limitless nature of God. Remember when Jesus was like, uh, was there and all the kids were running to him and the disciples ran up and said, hey, get away from him, stay away from him, you know, leave him alone, don't bother him. Remember what Jesus said? Stop. All of you, hey, Philip, you, Andrew, you, all of you need to become like this little one if you're going to make it, if you're going to get in. Well, what, what did he mean? He means somehow you're going to have to free yourself from the contamination of limited things and boundaries towards him. You're going to have to ultimately believe that Jesus is who he said he is. You're going to ultimately have to believe that he died on the cross and he walked out of that tomb alive. That's not normal. You're going to have to believe that that God has power even over the finality of death. I mean, you're gonna have to like, you're gonna have to keep your mind from being contaminated by what you think you know and how you use that to limit God. The other thing is, is that what this little boy did was he didn't analyze. He just took a step or two further than the others did. Like he expressed faith with their step or two further. Do you ever feel like you stop chest short? Do you ever feel like that? 
you ever feel like, whoo, man, I'm telling you, God's doing great work in my life, and I'm, okay, I better, let me think about this. Let me do the math. No, let me, I don't think I can stretch it that far. Do you ever think like you were on the cusp of the miraculous? I mean, right then, I'm talking about what God wants to do in you, how God wants to set you free from some things, how God wants to empower you, and, and, and yet you get to this point, and then right when you're there, you're like, oh, and you just back off. You're only like a step or two away from the miraculous, and yet somehow up comes the fences and out comes the boundaries. Well, you know, when Paul's talking to the church in, in Ephesus, he is like, he's throwing everything out, trying to help the Christians in Ephesus to get here about God. Right, in the beginning of chapter three, which is, which is our text for the day, it is titled, Guard God's Marvelous Plan for the Gentiles. And in trying to create this enthusiasm, in trying to create this understanding of the limitless nature of God, one of the things Paul throws out is even grammar. I mean, he is so excited about what he knows about God and what he's trying to share about who God is that, that he creates a run-on sentence. Now, you know, Paul's not uneducated. I mean, Paul in his day is one of the most educated people that, uh, you know, around. I mean, I mean, Paul's been to the best schools of the schools. I mean, he knew how to write. He knew proper grammar. But you know, in this structure, he did not provide any appropriate grammar. He threw it all out. He is drowning literally in the ocean of God's power. He's like, who? He's just, he's lost to himself. He's lost to what he knows. He's lost to even the structure of sentence writing in his day. And, and when you read it, I know you read it in your scriptures today and you go, well, there's a comma, there's a period, there's a, you know, we went back and added all that so that we could, you know, read it in a rhythmic way that would help us understand it. But Paul was just like, I mean, he was just, whoo, just pouring it out. This is what he says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now I'm pausing because there's a period. Paul didn't pause. I mean, he's just going on and on and on. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, you know what, you know what, Paul's, you know what Paul's saying and what he's even displaying in the way that he writes it? There is a tsunami of God's limitless power that he wants to pour out on you. Wow. You're like, my goodness, Paul is like, he's impassioned by this. Man, God wants to pour himself out on you in your heart and in your mind and, and in this limitless way. And and man, we, one of the things, right, one of the things Paul wants the church in Ephesus to understand is, is that there are no limits when it comes to Jesus' activity in your life, what God wants to do in you. There's another, right, there's another point that, that Paul's trying to communicate is not only does God want to pour out his limitless power upon us, and we have opportunity to, 
you know, spend time with him and, and intimacy with him to get to know him and, and to grow in that limitlessness. But he also wants us to know there's, there's that personal nature in which we can have this limitless relationship with God. But, but that's not the only way we're supposed to function. He, he kind of communicates to us that we experience this limitlessness together. We can experience the limitlessness of God in community. And it's by God's design that we are together. I mean, I mean the biblical evidence is all throughout the scriptures. But, but like, for instance, here in, here, in, here in Ephesians, in the very same passage of scripture, think about what he says. Because what he's saying is not only personal and intimate with, with just me and, 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 and the Father, but it's, but it's also communal. Because look at what he says. He says, every family, your hearts, all of the Lord's holy people, we ask within us, in the church, throughout all generations. So there's this idea that, that right, God can work in limitless ways in me. But there's this idea that God can work in limitless ways in us collectively. And how powerful and how important that is. I mean, the necessity of community is written seven times in seven verses. Us, we, all, everybody, all generations. I mean, now, now I'm going to say something. I hope you forgive me because I, I want you to like me. So don't, don't hold this against me. And I do want to say I'm not a scientist, right? I'm not a scientist. That's not my, that's not my discipline, right? So... So I'm going to say some things, and you may have other opinions. And I'm, I'm really not trying to create any controversy. But I do want to say this, because this is important for us. The pandemic has isolated us. It's isolated us. It has taken a means in which God wants to move in limitless ways in community, and it has made it uncommon rather than common. It, it's kind of pulled us. And I'm really not, and please understand me, I'm not, I'm not trying to make some sort of grand political, I'm not, right, I'm not, I'm, I'm just trying to say one of the ways in which God desires that we live with this limitlessness of who he is, is together. And that requires that in some way we get together. That requires that it becomes common and it becomes regular. That we are in this deep connection with each other to see God's power move. Now you've done this and I've done this, right? I mean, so during the pandemic, here's a little bit of secret. Please don't get mad at me. Well, I feel like I'm like insecure up here right now. <laughs> Please don't get mad at me. I preface almost every statement with my wife that way. Please don't get mad at me. But, but like, like I've, I've streamed at home. Sometimes during the pandemic when we were shut down, we, we filmed the services on Wednesday night. Lord, forgive us. And then we've launched them on Sunday morning live, right? Streamed them. 
And I've sat on my couch at home and watched the service. And you know what I did when I watched that service when I was at home? Hey, listen, I know you guys aren't doing this on stream right now. You guys are focused in, you're zeroed in, right? You're not, you're not scrolling through your phones or, or you're not getting up and going out and making a cup of coffee or, or you're not scrambling some eggs while you're watching it. Those were the things I was doing. Are, are you following me? I was doing all sorts of things Why that service was being streamed. Every once in a while, I'd walk through the living room and go, oh, yeah. Man, that worship band has it together. And then as I walked by and, you know, got a second helping of scrambled eggs. Are, are you following me? So, I, man, I am so thankful for the technology that's available. I am. Right, I believe, that's, I, I, I believe that we ought to be engaged in it. I think we ought, to, we ought to do it as well as we possibly can. We ought to invest in it. Absolutely, I am a believer in it. No, no, but, but God calls us to community. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't call me just simply to watch something on TV that, that actually isolates me from the community. He asked me to engage it. So... So forgive me for that, right? Forgive me for that. I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I'm just saying we need to, we, right, our, our, our unifying factors, experiencing the limitless nature of God also comes to us in a major way in community. I mean, and then, and then in Ephesians chapter four, he moves from this idea of how important a community is and he moves right into unity and maturity, because that's what's supposed to happen because of, because of community. But it's all through the scripture he talks about how he moves and how he desires to move in all of us collectively. Joshua chapter one, right? When Israel's moving into the, into the, into the promised land, right? And they're going to take the promised land. Joshua tells all the people, everybody needs to fight. And, and two and a half of the tribes have already gotten their land. Right, they've already got their spot, they've got their home. Right, they're, they're building their permanence, they're plowing their fields, they're getting ready for their future. Right, they've already got their land and Joshua said, no, you're not done. You may have what you think you need and that's all. No, all of these, the other 10 and a half tribes will not get what they're supposed to get if you don't fight with them. It's this idea of unity, right? We're gonna move together collectively. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. Again, truly I tell you, the words of Jesus, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now what's Jesus trying to say? Is he trying to say that when you pray by yourself, it's not effective? No, he's not trying to say that. He's trying to teach you the power of connection. That when you connect with somebody else who's a believer, that it's like exponentially, it increases right? There's, there's, like, there's like something happens, right? That's, that's greater and that's bigger and that's more than. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, just as the body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, right? You may be an arm, I may be a foot. You may think I'm another body part, but anyhow. But the truth is we all form a functional body together. Right, that's, that's like the driving point here. James 5, 16, listen to this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like God has given his power for healing to the community. He says, here, here it is. Right? I mean, hey, I mean, right? we see times in which we pray individually for God's healing and God heals in great ways and God does all sorts of, but there's this community aspect where he's like, do this together. Confess your sins one to another. You know why? You, you know why we confess our sins one to another? And I know, I know, but right? If you're here this morning, we're a Protestant church. You know what that means, right? We're a Protestant church. We're Protestant, right? We're a Protestant church. I always wonder who was in charge of marketing thousands of years ago when they came up with these titles, you know? What, hey, what do you belong to? I'm a Protestant. Well, that sure delights my heart, you know? I often think, man, that is so built within us. We protest everything, you know, because we're just built that way. We're Protestants, right? Way back from the beginning, we're protesting, you know, and just, we just continue on. But, but one of the key thoughts for us is you don't have to go through anybody to get to God. Praise the Lord for that. Because, man, I would be so busy if you did. Are you know what I'm saying? Like, you'd have to come to me, and I'd be like, going, whoo, you know, hey, TMI, <laughs> you know, <laughs> listen, you don't have to tell me everything, but, right, I mean, it's like this thing where you're, but we say, no, you know, the beautiful picture is that God loves you, and he wants to hear from you. Man, there's beauty, and there's power in that, but then there's also power in this. Confess your sins to each other. Because something deep happens when you do. So this idea of moving together, moving in unity, moving in connection with each other. So here's something that we did this, this just in the last couple weeks, right? The staff, we've been praying. We've been saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? What's, what's something that, that is a big enough goal out there that we can really, like, it really displays Jesus and and, and it would require a movement of your spirit and a connection with all of us to see it happen. So here's what we decided. In the next three years, we would, we are, we're, we're gonna go for 500 baptisms in the next three years. 500 baptisms. 500 people that say, I believe Jesus Christ is who he said he is, right? Now, now I want you to know this. I want you to know, I've been pastor here for 15 years, right? For 15 years, I've been pastor. Our best year ever in baptizing was 89 people. So if we duplicate our best year three times over the next three, we're, we're gonna fall 40 to 45% short of what the goal is. That means God's gotta do something, right? That means something has to happen that's been bigger than anything that has happened here before. And that means we all have to do this together, right? Because, because you know, I'm not going to hit 500 baptisms by myself, right? The staff isn't going to hit 500 baptisms just with the, I mean, the only way this is even possible is if we engage it as a community and we say we're all in to see more and more and more people come into this, this saving, forgiving relationship with Christ. Now, now, I get it. I get it. Some of you are doing exactly what I did when we started talking about this goal. I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm doing, the, I'm doing the Philip thing. I'm, I'm doing the math. 
You know the first thing I said when, when, when this idea of 500 baptisms came up? You know the first thing I said? I said, we only have 156 Sundays. That's all we have, 156 Sundays. That means we're going to have to baptize 3.6 people every Sunday over the next three years. Well, we didn't baptize anybody two weeks ago. We didn't baptize anybody last week. We didn't baptize anybody this week. My goodness, we are 11.8% behind already. Right? I'm just doing the math. But it's like, right, you don't get where God wants you to go if you're doing the math. Because he does immeasurably more. You can't measure it. Man, we're going right, to have to engage this thing and say, absolutely. We're going to have to engage God. Lord, what do you want me to do as a part of this? Who do you want me to share with? In fact, one of the things we want you to do, and some of you will remember this, a few years ago we did this where we set our cell phone alarms to 702. Do you remember that? We set our cell phone's alarm for 702. So it's 702 in the morning and 702 in the evening it, our cell phones went off and we took time to pray for a minute or two. We're going to ask you to do that. Set your cell phones for 702 and pray that the Lord would open your eyes to the people around you that need Jesus. Right? And just, just engage it and be there. Bam. Right? Pray for it. Pray for God to like lay people on your heart. You know that you're going to share his goodness and his grace with. Do you know what the great disease of the church is? The great disease of the church isn't loneliness. The great disease of the church is aloneness. We just, we just attempt to do it alone. And that's not how God created us. And Paul's looking at the church in Ephesus and he's saying, God is limitless. And you can experience that in your relationship with him. And you can experience it in your relationship together. Now, now I think this would be true. Some of us right now some of us right now, we know how we're limiting God in our lives. If I would ask you, hey, you know, how, you know what's happening with God in your life? Where are you limiting him? And where is he? Some of you, you could say, well, and you could probably write out two or three ways. Some of us are limiting God because of our habits, our addictions and our sins. Some of us are limiting God because of our doubt and our lack of trust. Some of us are limiting God because we don't believe in and we haven't realized his limitless love for us and for others. And man, I want to encourage you to open up your heart and your mind. Give him the loaves and the fishes. Man, it's not your responsibility to feed all 5,000. Man, it's your, it's your part to say, Lord, I know how this is possible, but here's what I have. Man, that's where we need to live. Lord, here's what I have. And you know, every month, every month we participate in the limitless nature of God. When we participate in communion. Think about what communion says to us. It says that even the finality of death itself has no boundaries on God. And, and every month we say, hey, here's the broken body and here's the shed blood 
And man, Jesus died on that cross, but three days later, he walked out alive. He shattered the enemy's greatest tool. He shattered the very wages of sin itself. Man, it was not gonna limit him. And he offers that limitlessness to every single one of us that death not, doesn't have to be our finality, right? That we have life and, and that life everlasting, limitless nature of God. And we don't, we don't start living into that limitless nature when we get to heaven. We're supposed to live into that limitless nature here and now. This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you. May it preserve you blameless until he comes again. Eat this in remembrance that the body of Christ was broken for you and be glad. This is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you. May it preserve you blameless until he comes again. Drink this in remembrance that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you and be glad. Jesus, I thank you for your mercy and your love. I thank you for the fact that you want to knock down all boundaries when it comes to our experience with you. That you want to, you want to open wide heaven's gates and, and, and us seeing you and knowing you and living into you. You don't want us to be held captive by thoughts or pain or hurt or unforgiveness or grudges or sin. Boy, you want to blow the doors off of all of that and help us to live in your limitless and powerful transforming grace. And Lord, you want us to teach the world just like you were teaching Philip and Andrew about how limitless you really are. And we love you, Jesus, and we praise you. In response to your goodness and grace, Lord, receive what we bring, our loaves and our fishes. Okay, Lord, this is what I have. Bless it, use it. We give it. Help us share your limitless love to all around. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.